everyone. This is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, in this episode, we have something really special that uh, we're grateful for. We're actually going to be interviewing our friend and mentor, Chuck DeGroat. He is an author, a licensed therapist, and a professor of pastoral counseling at Western Seminary. And he's going to be helping us tackle a big topic, how to navigate through anxious seasons such as the one that we're in currently. (laughs) That's right. I mean, 2020 has given us all something to be anxious about, right? And the election is here. So there's a lot of fears that are happening within us. And I know that I'm feeling it as well. And I'm sure you are too, Jeff. And so with this, we want to recognize that our types cope with anxiety in unique ways. And when our coping strategies fail us, we can fall into despair. The good news is, is that oftentimes in moments such as these are where we encounter the love of Jesus, because he loves to meet us in these anxious moments to give us hope and a path forward. And it's our prayer that in this two-part series, we're going to help you find some answers, but also find some peace in this season. We're so grateful that you joined us. Well, Chuck, thanks so much for uh, your willingness to engage in a conversation. Um, And it's something that Beth and I have been thinking about a lot, Uh, not because of our jobs and being Enneagram coaches, but personally Mm -hmm. navigating the year 2020. (laughs) Yeah, trying to navigate, (laughs) I think is what you're saying. That's right. And so it... I mean, clearly, this wasn't the year that we all expected, and um, it it only seems to continue to intensify, Mm -hmm. particularly as we're coming up to a national decision that we're making regarding presidency, coupled with all the other things that are going on, and as if suffering weren't difficult enough, now let's politicize suffering. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Makes it tough. Yeah. Um, So much so, even for me personally, I've, I've just had to decide, I... Uh, I've eliminated a ton of apps on my phone because I am constantly reminded how isolated I am, uh, how powerless I am, and uncertainty uh, about the future. And so whenever we first started thinking, like, how could we best serve um, uh, this community that we have, Mm -hmm. we thought, hey, well, the Enneagram answers some of these things. We've been using the Enneagram. And we thought of you because of your particular role and some of the literature that you've already written and what you contribute to the Enneagram. And so uh, we're glad that you're here with us. Um, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I have been uh, a pastor and a therapist for almost 25 years now, which feels crazy to say out loud. Uh, <laughs> sure. uh, I was, I've been, uh, I wear both of those hats in part because I, back when I was in seminary, my my inner world blew up, and so I was actually introduced to the enneagram and uh, to to my own stuff back in seminary, and it's really guided my work as a pastor. I've started two church-based counseling centers, one in Orlando, one in San Francisco, and now I now I teach. So I I actually I talk about um, I'm not on the field anymore. I'm commenting on pastors from the booth, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from the booth as yeah. seminary prof, and as a 
continuing as a therapist. That's awesome. Well, and one of the things that uh, I would love to pick your brain over is how have you seen the impact of all the different things that have happened this year? How have you seen people responding or what's the felt experience of so many seismic shifts that have happened this year and its impact on people? Yeah. One word that comes to mind is trauma. And I think, you know, the Enneagram illuminates our particular strategies, coping strategies uh, yep. uh, around traumatic experiences. But I, I think across the board, I've seen trauma. People are incredibly anxious and it's coming out in all different kinds of behaviors and symptoms and reactivity. And, uh, but people are carrying it in their bodies. And uh, so a lot of my work, as I said, is with pastors. And I'm, as I have conversation with pastors and counseling and coaching, consulting and all that kind of stuff, um, I, I'm hearing specific ways it's coming out. I'm, I'm more angry. I'm more argumentative. I'm more reactive. I'm not sleeping well. Night terrors, panic attacks, um, uh, struggle, struggles in relationships. It's coming out in all kinds of different ways that I would put under the umbrella of trauma. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because, I, one, I'm not sure people would feel comfortable attributing what they're experiencing as trauma. Mm-hmm. Like to name it as trauma, yeah. that, that would, might be difficult to say. Yeah. Um, but then number two is that it has expression in our body. So some of these things that are happening in our bodies are not necessarily cognitive choices. That's right. These are just simply responses. Yeah, that's right. We don't wake up in the morning saying, I, I think I'll have a panic attack or two today, you know, <laughs> uh, or right, you know, I choose to be depressed today. That's not how it works. And you know, we've learned a lot about trauma, particularly in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, I was not trained in trauma back in my mental health counseling program in the mid-90s. And so, uh, and, and uh, we've learned a lot about neuroscience, the way our brains work, you know. And ideally, when we are the most connected and mindful, when we're aware of our strategies, you know, our particular Enneagram strategies and how how they work themselves out. We're operating from our prefrontal cortex. We're mindful, we're present, we're aware, uh, we're repentant, we confess. But when we're not, we're sort of in this um, limbic system rut, I call it. The limbic system holds our anxiety and it's, it's sort of like we're on a hamster wheel of anxiety going round and round and round, um, not even aware. It could be days, it could be weeks. And we call that trauma. It's small T trauma. It's not like PTSD. It's not like you've been to war. But it, 2020 does kind of feel like we've been to war. Uh, sure. We may, we may need to start uh, capitalizing that T. Well, it does seem to have kind of resonance because you may, I know that even for Beth and I, that uh, there may be a news article or something that's on TV that activates something in us and Beth and I end up fighting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not even about the issue that we watch. It's more, but it has expression with one another. Yeah. And so we're even experiencing harm yeah. as just a secondary implication of something that's happening in our culture. Well, I've just even noticed like for myself, when we do go out, um, just the having to wear a mask remembering it, wearing it, the, the feeling of being it's in itself, 
isolating, you know, cause you're, you're, you're like covering up part of yourself that's near and dear to people. Right. Um, and, and that's not a, you know, we wear a mask. Yeah, you know, we're, you we're happy. see a smile. Yeah, we're happy to protect others. It's not that. It's it's the feeling of isolation and, and not being known. And, and and the reminder, the constant reminder of the state we're in. And so there's this anxiety. But then not being around people, I'll be honest, uh, when I do go out, I, I find myself a little bit more irritated by just people or the, the things that used to just, you know, you're just used to being around people a lot and you just kind of go with the flow a little bit more. Whereas now I feel a little bit more irritated or, or upset or frustrated. And, and it surprises me to be really honest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think even, even your disclosure there, I mean, that's where uh, healing begins, right. As we begin to become a bit more vulnerable about this kind of stuff. And I think uh, I'm, remember having a conversation early on after the stay at home order came down in Michigan and uh, I was inside and I actually had, you guys know this cause you were very kind to me and we had a webinar together around this book that I had released right when it all came down. And I'm, I'm by the way, I'm, I'm a four, I'm a self-preservation four. So I'm the long suffering four. I'm not going to complain, but boy, was I angry. And, 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 and I had this sense and I didn't realize it uh, because I wasn't paying close enough attention. I was very busy at the time, probably coping in and through some of my busyness, but I had this sense that the, the world, that uh, it, it was sort of like, we're going to run out of supplies. We're going to, we're not going to have toilet paper. We're not going to, our water is probably going to go. Like I started going into this disaster scenario. And so it was interesting. I would show up and do, podcast like this and look pretty normal. But my internal reality was so anxiety driven during that time. Um, and there was, there was such a sense of um, even a sense of abandonment, like, God, where are you in the midst of this? And I think, yes. I think part of this, uh, the journey is to become aware of how you and your own particular way are, are coping in a season of high stress, you know? Yeah. Yes. You, you mentioned the term limbic, rut, which <laughs> that's, that's a great phrase. How do you, in, in your experience, how do you find people reinforce the rut? What are those practices that, that. Well, maybe flesh that out a little bit more so that sure. the listeners can, can follow along too. Yeah. So, I mean, we all, we're familiar with language like fight, flight, or freeze, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty common language. That's, that's actually trauma language. It's, it's how our body deals with, um, with uh, the stuff that comes up in life, the hard things, the, the scary news stories, um, the terrifying experiences, uh, a sickness that your child has, the cancer diagnosis. And so in some ways, these are not all self-protective strategies are in and of themselves bad, right? We can, God has actually given us some strategies to protect ourselves in the midst of possible harm or, or trauma. Um, when we talk about the limbic system, it's, it's sort of like, instead of recognizing that, like I'm in flight mode right now. Um, and so uh, you guys do a really good job of talking about the, the relational or default styles, relational styles of, of the Enneagram. I'm a withdrawn type. So I, I, I'm a flight type uh, in some respects, right? And recognizing the clock. Me too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now recognizing um, that I'm doing that is the first thing, you know, and how I'm doing that in my own particular way. How am I withdrawing? Um, how is that a coping style? How is that impacting other people? 
uh, it's amazing. And Beth, you know this then, how we can show up but not really show up, you know? Um, mm-hmm. We're still in our yep. turtle shell, but we're, we're actually talking on a podcast. Right. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, I've never known that about Beth. That's a very enlightening check. Our brains, you know, our brains are very malleable. And uh, once we set a pattern into motion, we, we can live out of that pattern for quite a long time. And so that's the hamster, hamster wheel that I'm talking about. It's that limbic system rut where that anxiety center of our brain, uh, the volume. I often talk about this in terms of volume, like the volume goes up to like an eight or nine or a ten. And we live on that for a while. And it's like, why have I been so exhausted over the last three or four months? Why am I not sleeping? Why? Well, it's probably because your, your limbic system has been running sort of like my laptop tends to do at times. I hear the fan on for prolonged <laughs> periods of time. It's like the, the, the system is running and you might not even be aware of it. And so it's yeah. about becoming aware of what's really going on. But I think that's part of what we're missing in this moment is there are just names or things that I should remember that I'm missing each day. It's just a little, it's a little something. Mm -hmm, It's the restlessness of, I I can't get comfortable in bed where I feel fully rested. Yeah. And I know like for me, the things that will rise up, um, I have, like you were saying, I've pushed them down as a nine or try to disassociate or forget or numb that, it gets to a breaking point that I cannot stop it. Like the other day we were in a situation that some past issues of mine, like past small T traumas came up and I literally couldn't hold back the tears, which is a nine. That's like a a gift I have (laughs) is to, to put on a smile and to not show people the emotions to myself even. And it was like, it's common, you know, and I think that's because I had pushed so much down for so long during this time of 2020 that it's just going to bubble over. It's just going to come out. And I think that's a good thing for all of us to recognize, not because I think it's so, we're so quick to go to shame or self-condemnation or, or fear. And by us, seeing and admitting to where we're struggling and like you were saying, how we struggle as um, types. And we'll go in the next episode into how each type can or might react to these kind of circumstances. But by admitting it, it's not to bring that shame and self-condemnation and fear and heap it on us even more. It's actually to look at it squarely in the face, to recognize what Christ has already done for us, how he is walking through this season with us, even if we don't feel it, he's right there and how we can unburden this load to him and watch that, um, watch him carry it for us and with yeah. us. Um, Chuck, how does, um, this came up recently, uh, a friend uh, during the first presidential debate sent me a text asking, um, I am so agitated and frustrated. I had to walk away. Does that confirm my type? And what they were experiencing, because they were, they were trying to wrestle with uh, what their type is, but this person is also a school teacher and teaching in a classroom that is both kids present, kids virtual, and trying to assist all of these kids, and then perceiving an injustice during a debate they were surprised that they got so agitated so quick that normally they could hold it, but now they just had to walk away. How how does that work where it just seemed like there's, we're almost 
full of angst. Yeah. And then all these little things just seem to brim over and we're just flooded. Yeah. Well, I've seen the cliff notes for your next episode and I'm going to listen because I, I think you're going to have some really good answers, specific answers to those questions for folks. I mean, I think more generally, uh, when we're talking about trauma, we often use words like activated or triggered. We have to know the particular ways in which we're triggered. Um, it can it can happen uh, through a body sensation. Uh, it can happen through an emotion. It can happen through an inner story you tell yourself or narrative of um, uh, it can happen through some racing thoughts or, or um, a, a, you know, compulsive thinking. It can happen in any number of different ways, in other words. And so part of our part of my job, your job, I guess, in our counseling and coaching that we do is to help people become aware of of how they're being triggered or how they're being activated. I think many people just don't know, you know, and so they're well down the road. They've tweeted 35 times before maybe a spouse comes and says, don't you think that's a little much, you know, don't you think? Oh, Beth said that the other day, like maybe it was last month. She goes, you're playing that game on your phone a lot. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. It was a very kind way for a nine to say, are you okay? Are you okay? (laughs) You're checking out. (laughs) Yeah. You're moving into my space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's part of it is, and I think this can be, a very vulnerable thing. I mean, I, we want to, we want to feel like we, we can handle these things, you know, when watching yeah. a, a very triggering debate and it, and it was for a lot of people. I mean, it was, it was loud. It was um, talking over one another. I mean, it's, it was, it was Olympic system debate. I mean, it was anxiety, 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 right? We want to, we want to think that we can handle that. And the reality is, is that um, I was about five minutes in when I had to shut it off because I had this palpable and profound sense of being overwhelmed, uh, just sort of emotionally being drawn into, into the depths and not being able to catch my breath anymore. And I just did for my own sake, for my own self care, I just need to turn this off. Um, yeah. So it, it's all about becoming aware of your own, you know, an eight might want to throw a brick through the TV. You know, like, <laughs> a five might be fact checking, you know, let me just, Oh, I, I'm not sure if that's right. I'm going to read this. I'm going to fact check that, you know, we all have our default strategies, right? And so how, do we, do we understand yeah. how we're being triggered or activated and what do we do about it? You know, it reminds me of, I think it's in Colossians where Paul was talking about how these different rules he said that they all diminish with use. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I, I have found 2020 to be so difficult is that all of these natural, not even mindful of what I'm doing, coping mechanisms, yeah. nothing's working. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> like I've tried it over and over and over because the, the incidences, the daily news, the daily circumstances, the daily decisions, it, it, they're just new each day. They're new each day. And so they're, it, it not only are the tools or strategies I use diminishing with use, but even my sense of personhood, my, just my own mindfulness. Yeah. Yes. I think you're right. And I, and I think this is simultaneously the, the challenge and the gift of, of this season. We are far more desperate than we were a year ago. Uh, yeah. I've got students who are mostly in their twenties, maybe some, some thirties in there, maybe some others sprinkled across, but I, Last week we were in class, we're back in class, masked up, socially distanced. 
And a number of them were feeling hopeless. And, and they said, so what, what is the hope? And I said, it's, at some level in my work, uh, desperation is a really good thing. Desperation brings us to the end of ourselves. Desperation uh, allows us to maybe come to a place where we can surrender and say, I can't control it, right? With my own, I, and I think you're right, Jeff, our strategies aren't working anymore. And that's leading people to a place of despair, desperation. Now, if you're not comfortable with that in that territory, this is a really hard season for you. Um, I happen to think uh, cl- individually, personally, and collectively, coming to a place of, of despair might actually lead us into a season of, of relinquishing control. Uh, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, uh, maybe that's naive. Uh, I, I, I need to see something in 2020 that gives me some sense of hope. But I think that that's where Jesus meets us, right? Jesus meets us in the darkest, most hopeless, most despairing poverty of spirit, right? Blessed are you when you come to the end of yourselves, Jesus says. That's where, right. where he meets us. It reminds me of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the Psalms if David doesn't get to despondency. Yeah. Now, the way that we often preach the psalm is, we, you know, you see the problem and you get through it in a three-point sermon. Yeah. And I'm certain, I don't know this for sure, <laughs> if this is right or not, but th- in my perspective, being around songwriters here in Nashville, yeah. you never write the song the first time. Mm. You work on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did David in one 30-minute time or quiet time, did he look at the unbelieving world and it's flourishing, uh, reorient his soul and then come out with a psalm singing yeah. hallelujahs. I doubt it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it I feel like the downcast, human. why, you know, why are you downcast on my soul? I mean, I'm sure when he was truly that downcast, he wasn't just immediately thinking, put your hope in God. <laughs> I mean, well, he might have had in the back of his mind, but he probably wasn't experiencing or feeling it. But yes. over time, as he did experience the fullness of all that God represents in and through us, that's why he's able to write that song. And I do agree kind of what you're saying with Chuck is we all, all nine types have this illusion of control or we want it. And I remember as 2020 started really unfolding, I remember thinking, you know, I used to sometimes get annoyed when people would say, Lord willing, like all the time, you know, like with every little thing. I was like, really? Come on, you know. But now I'm like, no, that's actually, I mean, I know it's scriptural, but it was like, oh, no, that's true. Like, we really do not have control. It's an illusion. God is sovereign. God is in control. And I think 2020 is untangling that belief system, that false belief system that we have, that we have control, and we control our world through our type, right? Through our defensive mechanisms, coping strategies that we'll go into next episode. And when those aren't working, we don't know what to grab onto. We don't know what to do. And that's where the hopelessness, the anxiety, the all the other things that can cascade from it can start to happen. Yeah. But it's really interesting, like you're saying, Jeff, with the Psalms, I think David is, is such a great place for us to go to in the season is the Psalms and to see how David experienced all of his emotions and laid it bare in front of God because God wasn't surprised. And in fact, that authenticity and that realness and that vulnerability is what helps him to have that hope, which is God himself. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, 
From May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. So Chuck, I'd like to pivot just a little bit because there, hopefully uh, both just initially discussing, you know, these natural inclinations or patterns that we'll go to as a default to self-soothe and to deal with the powerlessness, the isolation. Well, the flip side of that is that there really are opportunities for us. Now, they, they could feel costly. You know, the, the path of the Christian is life, death, resurrection. So, you know, to, for spiritual growth, death needs to happen. The silence of Saturday, the awakening of Sunday, and the gifting of ascension, right? I mean, there's even more to come throughout all this because our hope is in what Christ can do and despite our circumstances. But what do you find? So when someone is activated, when they start to recognize, hey, okay, here are the things that are really getting my heart revved up, my mind activated, uh, or I'm finding myself withdrawing. What do good practices look like then? Yeah. What does it look like to pursue health? That's good. That's a helpful question because I think you're getting at, you're getting at something that I think is really important, that we're embodied in relational creatures, right? That um, I always say incarnation matters, that Jesus uh, came um, bodily, lived among us, um, felt all we felt. That matters. Uh, it means that at least part of our healing uh, happens at, on that level as well, right? We're not just Gnostics who remember that Jesus died on the cross and that just takes care of everything, right? We have to, uh, our bodies, our emotions are implicated in these kinds of ways. And so we have to get at, I think probably you guys might get at this next time too, how, how, how our emotions and our bodies are implicated in uh, as unique Enneagram types uh, when we're activated. I know, so in terms of practices, to get to the core of your question, um, my friend Kyle uh, relates most to aid energy, and carries a lot in his body. Um, Kyle walked the Camino a couple of years ago for his sabbatical, the entire Camino. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a walker. Um, a, at least part of his practice, um, has to be engaging his body. Uh, and, uh, on the other hand, when he invited me on the Camino, I said, if, if they'll provide a golf cart for me to drive along <laughs> um, and plenty of silence, um, I need, I'm a, I've, I'm a swirling dervish. I've got uh, hurricane winds inside me. Um, even though people seem, I think I've grown enough that people look at me and they say, he seems pretty put together. 
there's always a lot going on. The hurricane winds are swirling. Mm-hmm. And so I need to bathe myself in times of silence. I need to, this is good withdrawal, you know, purposeful withdrawal to get away, to get silent. And I think that there are practices, classic Christian practices, that uh, when I teach on the Enneagram, I try to offer practices that I think are maybe a bit more helpful to particular uh, types on the, of the Enneagram, right? So, sure. uh, so it's, that's, a, that's a big conversation, but an important one that invites people to understand. So, so what do I need in my spiritual practice? And it's not a one-size-fits-all. If Jeff does the daily office and I, do, I walk the labyrinth, it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means that we might have different needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love it when people are like, oh yeah, just, you know, go get some silence and solitude. I'm like, score. I've won the game. <laughs> you know, like as a nine, I'm like, I could do that all day, every day, you know, but, and, but that's where knowing the Enneagram is helpful because what I might need for real growth is to push into the hard moments, not for just, I mean, silence. I'm like, yeah, sure. Now silence for me, it's a redirecting of the mind. It's the awakening Mm-hmm. not the quieting things down. It's the opposite. And a lot of times we can think we've nailed it, you know, whatever it is that people say, like the twos are like, oh, you want me to serve? I can serve. You know, it's like, no, 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 let Christ serve you first, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times we hear practices, generally speaking, but what does it really mean for your type to utilize that in a way that's actually beneficial for you? And usually if it's going to be beneficial for you, it's not an easy practice to do. So if it's really easy, you might want to double check on what you're doing. It's funny sure. you mentioned that because I, a few years ago, I was leading a men's group and uh, we would begin our time together with increasing amounts of silence. So it's a small group. We're all huddled around in a basement, but it was, let's just pause for a moment and just breathe. And the threes and the sevens would fall asleep quickly. They were so exhausted they were not attuned to their bodies. They were going from thing to thing. Finally, they stop for three minutes and guys start snoring. <laughs> um, the nines in the room were like, fine, switch. And then they were out. I would find, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes as a type six, my mind still hasn't slowed down. It's like a flywheel that's going to take a lot of time for it to uh, slow down. But that's when I started to realize, oh, okay, so there may not be one particular practice for each type, but there, we come to each of the practices from our type mm-hmm. and they serve us in different ways. They offer opportunities, but there are liabilities for these practices as well. Yeah, it's really, it's what I love about the Enneagram is, is, is it values the diversity of the body of Christ, right? Exactly. And I, I actually think that there there are, you read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, lots of different pictures of how God shows up. You know, um, I think I only had one growing up and it was like, like a big old white male. Um, but there are many, many different images, metaphors of, of how God shows up, the ways that God shows up. And I think that there are particular, even particular ways that God shows up or, um, it might even be that you relate to one person of the Trinity more than others. You know, that uh, there, for me, one of the recognitions as a four is that, uh, uh, and it goes back to Augustine, that God is more near to me than I am to myself, that the spirit dwells in me and near me, more near to me than my breath. Well, that's a big deal for someone who wrestles with a, a sense of abandonment. Um, right. 
know that God is, is near. Uh, and so part of my own breathing, part of my own solitude uh, is, is just experiencing the nearness of God. Now, there may be someone else that says, no, not at all. I need, right. um, I need the power, you know, so my friend Kyle, who's an eight, um, he's like, sometimes I need a, the, the power of like an ocean. I need imagery of like wow. something more powerful than my body, you know, yes. Yes. because I'm like this all the time, you know? And, um, and so, yeah. Okay. So how do you live into that image or metaphor that what practice corresponds to that? And this is where it's so much fun. I mean, I, I envy you guys a lot because you get to do this full time and you can <laughs> tease out all of these different implications for, for the wide variety of folks that you serve. Yeah. Well, and like you said with the AIDS, I just love that um, analogy that you said, because, you know, for them, they, they have this image of themselves needing to be that solid rock, yeah. you know, to protect themselves. Who else is going to protect me? I need to do it. But really deep down what they're longing for is for someone else to protect them. Yes. And that is where it's so great when you get to help them to experience God as the protector, as the stronghold, um, for them to then rest in that. That doesn't mean diminish how God has created them very strong, but allow them to rest, to be vulnerable, to be open, to have that innocence that the AIDS really need is really important. Yeah. So Chuck, this is kind of an off the cuff question and, um, but maybe you could give some examples or feel free if you uh, want to walk the wheels, our term for it about applying it to, to each type. But you know, there's, there are these triads of the Enneagram. There's the head triad, the heart triad and the gut triad. Um, as it relates to some of these practices, self-care, how might that play into what types of self-care yeah. a type would be mindful of knowing that they're in a particular triad, but that means that they're probably weak in other triads? Yeah, I, I think that that's really important. I think you can sort of custom tailor practices around, around those particular energies, right? Or um, So I'm thinking... Immediately when you said that, I, I began thinking about uh, a friend of mine from back in the Bay Area who was a seven, is a seven, um, and uh, uh, lives in his head, um, loves experiences, loves to drink good wine, eat really good food, um, but it was constantly like I, I had like a fishing pole. I'm, I'm trying to reel, in, reel him in in conversation into the present moment, right? And... Um, <laughs> As we work together in friendship, not a clinical relationship or professional relationship, just in friendship, um, it became very important for him in his own work to move from uh, life in the head, which keeps him, away, keeps him at a distance from his emotions and where he feels out of control, into the present moment and the messy emotions. Uh, yeah. he, now, he hated me for this. And whenever we talk about this, <laughs> why do we I, I pour yes. really good wine for you to tell me these things, you know, <laughs> um, but, but in his case, it, he began to identify some really hard um, places of grief in his life that he had not worked through, that he descended down into from head down into his body, his emotions. And I think that's how it works. We could, you know, I probably don't have time to walk the entire wheel, but I think that's a good example of, he escapes up into his head. We want to draw him back into his body, into his emotions. Um, I can lose myself in my emotions, 
I, I actually need to be drawn into some clarity at times. I need to be drawn. And that's why I love the imagery of the prefrontal cortex of the brain being this kind of the center. And, and for me, there's a kind of imagination around coming to a place of center um, and not being caught up in all the kind of emotionality of my body. And so, yeah, I think. So you've given an illustration of the gut of a uh, head triad mm -hmm. and of the heart triad. Can you give an illustration of like maybe an eight, a nine or a one that's more gut oriented yeah. and being drawn somewhere? Yeah. Well, I think I, I'd love to hear from Beth on, on the nine. But <laughs> I don't know. No, <laughs> that's no. right. Um, yeah. I mean, like for me, um, you know, I always find it fascinating when I'll hear people say, okay, feel your feet on the ground, get grounded. Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? I always feel grounded. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm always so in my true. body. Like I, I, I feel the ground. I feel my body. So I don't know, for some reason it always has been weird when I hear people say that. But then when I, of course, grown in the Enneagram, I'm like, oh yeah, because Jeff is always in his head. And like you're saying, you got this hurricane of emotions, you know, going on. And so for you guys to be able to get grounded in your body and to feel like the floor is very different. So for me though, it is being present with the emotions or my thinking. Mm -hmm. And if my gut is overreacting, those two get suppressed, the emotions and the thinking, and I get really foggy, whether it's emotions or thinking. So I have to be much more mindful of not necessarily trying to get present in the body, but trying to clear the fog and being more intentional with investigating what my emotions are or what I'm thinking. And a lot of times it's like, I don't know, but I just start talking, of course, and that's the nine yeah. meandering talk style. <laughs> I just keep going. But then eventually, I don't know, when, Jeff, when I Jeff ask, might when disagree. I ask questions, there's usually resistance. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then Bodily there's, resistance. and then there's the fog. Uh -huh. And then once you kind of come out from the fog, there's, oh, wait a minute, there is a lot behind it. Yeah but you talk your way into it. It's not like you're, you're thinking about it then can articulate. It's Whereas like, I think, you know, if, if we were talking to an eight, they would be much more um, clear and articulate about what's going on. Um, whether from a, a cognitive mindset or emotional mindset, they're much quicker to get to that than a nine, you know? So it's just really interesting. And the same with a one, ones and eights are much quicker. Whereas the nines are like, I don't know. <laughs> well, what has it been like? One of the things that uh, Beth has done uh, in the recent month is she reached back to a friend and you've been reading a book together, but connecting through the app Voxer, which is like a walkie talkie for walkie -talkie? a phone. <laughs> Do I hear a niner? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Intense conversation. She's bringing in Tommy, Tommy boy. boy. <laughs> but uh, the um, what has that been like for you as a nine being in the fog? You're reading a book about internal family systems that we've we talked about with Allison Cook in mm -hmm. previous episodes. What's that been like to each morning? you're talking to your friend about what you learned that day. Yeah, well, she's a nine too, which is why I asked her because. I think I needed someone else that's walking through the fog, clearing the fog away to more haze. So someone that understood, um, but who would also point me back to Christ, you know, who wasn't just like, oh yeah, I totally understand. Like, but really would kind of be there as kind of like faithful in Pilgrim's Progress, like right by my side. But it's interesting because I was thinking about that, which I don't know if I even told you, Jeff. So this might be new to you. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I was thinking because the nine, nines are probably one of the most, if not the most stubborn on the Enneagram. Whoa. When we don't want to do something, 
we are not going to do it. We will shut down, dig in our heels. We may not show it as overtly as other types for different things, but we will not do what we don't want to do. We may not know what we want to do, (laughs) but we won't do what we, and so like, if I feel pushed or prodded, like I know for Jeff, you really like feedback and talking through things and maybe giving me feedback. And I'm like, I don't want feedback, you know? Well, I mean, Bethy will get upset when I'm asking other people questions. She's like, why do you ask so many questions? I'm overwhelmed by you asking actually feeling, so many questions. I was actually feeling that way today when you were talking. I was like, I got to plug in. I, I'm, I'm exhausted funny. listening to him on a, another call. I had a Zoom call in another room. And sometimes she'll even say like, why do you meet so much with people? <laughs> I'm exhausted and I'm not even the one in the meetings. But... <laughs> But no, so with her, what I found with doing Voxer, and this is just, this is interesting, you know, nine stuff, is that by Voxing, like being a walkie-talkie and she can listen to it whenever she wants, there isn't the need for this immediate feedback. Like I can pause, I can say what I want to say, and I'm not afraid of instantaneous feedback and questions because a nine, if she were to ask me questions right then and expect an answer, like on a phone call or Zoom, I would be like, I don't know, because I haven't had that have the time to think about it. But she poses questions through Voxer. And then when I get to listen to it, I have time to think and process and then I Voxer back. Um, And so that has been really helpful. And also the way she does it, it was really cool the other day, I was sharing something with her and um, that was really hard. And she said, hey, I would, would love for you to think through you know, how, why are those parts, even though you really don't like how they're acting right now, those parts of you, would you be willing to see what their good intention is? Yeah. And I was like, oh man, yeah. And, but then I had time to, to think. Hmm. Whereas if I was an eight, I would have known it instantaneously and would have been able to have that conversation. So I think it's really great for us to have different means modes. I know for you and I, Jeff, when we're in conflict, sometimes actually the best way for us to walk through that conflict is through texting each other, which we might even be in the same house. But for me, it gives me pause. It gives me space to think and process. Um, And it helps us to stay I'm smirking a little bit because I... (laughs) You know, so much of my training was uh, as interpersonal, engaging with one another, but I have found that my presence, so just me being physically present, not saying anything or doing anything, has an impact on Beth. Yeah. And sometimes if we just text about it, even though we may be in the same house in a different room, whatever that relational well something is, she doesn't feel the pressure of it. Right. And I'll be honest, a lot of it, is because I'm a one-to-one nine and the one-to-one nines emesh more than any of other of the subtypes. I can't help but think through what you must be thinking and feeling. And then I feel it or I analyze it or I assume incorrectly. And I'm then swept up into this false narrative of how do I make you happy, which you might not even be unhappy, but how do I make you happy if I made you unhappy? And I'm thinking of all these things, but if I'm not in the room with you, I'm not feeling that energy. I'm not seeing any facial expressions or wondering, is that a good or bad facial expression? I'm able to be more present with myself, but I know some nines may not have it to that degree, but because I am the one-to-one nine, 
I, I, it's like, I can't turn that off, which makes it really hard. Well, everybody welcome into our marriage. Not only are we the founders, we're also the clients. <laughs> we are very much the clients every day. Oh, good. Now, I love that you guys are engaging with internal family system stuff too, because that's just another level. I mean, I'm sure your listeners, some of your listeners are familiar with that, but it's just another level of how we carry all the stuff that we've been talking about for this entire yeah. episode, right? Um, yeah. Well, and actually we did, just for our listeners, maybe they're new, um, episode 16, we did with Dr. Allison Cook on internal family systems and the Enneagram. And then uh, episode 17 was walking the wheel and what the different um, parts of us are in the Enneagram. So like for me, we talked about how the eight, the nine are the eight wing and the one wing are part of my parts and how they show up good and not good. And yeah. my three and my six and how they show up good and not good. And it really helps Jeff and I, of course, the my nine, of course, but how Jeff and I can use that understanding yeah. to explain the processes that are happening internally so that we can better navigate our own relationship personally, but then also as a couple. Yeah, you know, Chuck, one thing that uh, has been kind of an underlying theme uh, throughout our conversation uh, is, uh, one, there's freedom and kindness to admit to how difficult things are, to admit this is trauma. Yes. It's, it's, it's not acute. It's, it's a general malaise of trauma and injury and harm. It's, and there's also this level of kindness to recognize that you're, are you okay to be despondent, to feel despair, to feel some of these emotions that like there may not be an immediate um, answer to. Yes. How, what role does this, I mean, I, I'm thinking of Paul's words in Romans that it's, it's the Lord's kindness yeah. that leads us to repentance how is this idea of being kind and gracious to ourselves? How does that work for us in the, in these kinds of moments? I, I think this is, you're touching on something that's huge. Um, it's huge biblically. I think you just touched on that. Um, but I, I think what we're learning, what we've learned over the last 10 or 15 years is that it's huge uh, neurobiologically too, in the sense that uh, when, when we feel safe, uh, th this goes back to our primal sense of attachment to our mother, right? When we feel safe, soothed, seen, secure, uh, magic can happen. <laughs> I mean, we we can show up uh, to our uh, to our husband or wife. We can show up to our children in in ways that are um, that are extraordinary. We're present. We're open. We're vulnerable. We're self giving. Uh, what, I love to connect this to the Trinity when I teach on this because the Trinity is my imagination for self-giving love, full presence, um, interdependent love. I mean, we're just showing up fully to one another from a posture of safety. That's, that's where we're at our best. When we're in trauma, um, I don't think we have video right now, but I'm clenching my fists. You know, when we, when we're in trauma, it's like our body is clenched. And from that place, it's really hard to love, listen, be curious. And so the, the practices that we've hinted at invite us from trauma to safety. They invite us into the compassionate, loving arms of God. And actually from that place too, um, two things can happen. Number one, we can experience some healing in and around our own suffering. 
And number two, we can recognize our own sin, the two S's, suffering and sin. We can understand how we've hurt others. We're much more, much more apt to say, oh, yeah, I can tell, like, the last week I've been in my anxiety and I've been pushing you away. And I'm so sorry for doing that. Um, we recognize that sin is more of a pattern of living rather than a one-off behavior. And we can, we can begin to sense, even in and through our Enneagram energies, how we show up. And so it's really important. And I think this is why it's so important to understand the cross, not just as some uh, abstract atonement theology, but, but really God's embrace uh, of, of humanity. Um, and, uh, and, and a reminder, as we were talking about earlier, that we are the beloved of God. Um, God goes to that extent to show us love, right? Yeah. Well, from that place of living in that love, uh, we can show up to one another lovingly. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Paul's words to the Corinthians. We, we comfort out of the comfort that we've received from God. Yeah. I'm not able to extend something that I don't have. I, and even this, it's also, I was in a meeting uh, recently with some other Christian business owners and uh, one of them was a retail business where they had something, I can't remember how many employees, but it was more than 50 and it got reduced to maybe like 10 employees. Now over the year, they've been able to bring a lot of those employees back, but some of the employees are asking like, well, what, how long is this going to last? If yeah. any of us get, get COVID, maybe the store shuts down and uh, is it going to, our other store is going to shut down completely in the future. Yeah, that's right. And he was, the leader was talking about just having the meeting to say to everybody, we're okay. Yes. To yeah. just compassionately say, we have all gone through something crazy that we never would have dreamed. Yeah. yeah. And we're not, quite yet to vision and future and hope yet we're still surviving but it it almost it it freed people up yeah to recognize okay yeah i i can grieve with freedom yeah that's right i can face loss and and to recognize that there's a resilience with what that god has put in within humanity to face such significant whole tragedy and yet somehow still respond and live life. I, mean, I, I think one of the gifts of COVID-19 is that we're all going through it together. Yeah. Different degrees of suffering for sure, but everyone can understand to some level and have compassion and empathy for what we're going through as a collective mm-hmm. human race and then as a body of Christ mm-hmm. and to be there for one another and support and pray. And I think you know, you've talked about, I don't remember where you heard it from, but we want to be seen, heard, and known. Yes. Mm. And in COVID, we may not know each other like as personal friends, but if we talk about the season we're in right now, each of us can see each other, know each other, and understand each other on a level that maybe had COVID not happened, we, we wouldn't have that connection. But now we can have that deeper connection together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I like that. Well, uh, Chuck, is there any last things, kind of thoughts that have come up that before we end our time together that you thought, oh, yeah, here's one thing that I would love to share with everybody? Oh, sheesh. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, <laughs> we really have. I'm really, really proud of us. <laughs> and I, I, I think we could keep going 
round and round on this, but I that last point that you made, I mean, I think the three of us have experienced uh, some level of trauma, anxiety in Christian organizations, you know, in, in, in Christian spaces, mm -hmm. sadly. Um, and uh, I, I think we're beginning as a church, uh, we're still in the midst of a kind of a reckoning within the church, I, I think, but we're beginning mm. to recognize how we've lived in trauma, created trauma. That's part of the reason I wrote on narcissism, um, how we mm -hmm. lived and, um, and uh, fostered abusive systems, um, how we can, so, even those of us who call ourselves Christians um, can at times live with such a lack of self-awareness, you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think this work that you do and I do, and there's great overlap between that, so many of the folks I'm sure who listen do, is a work of inviting us back to that inner conversation. Um, in the tradition, it's called self-knowledge. Uh, St. Mm -hmm. Augustine in his confessions after nine chapters of telling his story says, uh, Noverum me, noverum te. Let me know myself. Let me know you, O oh God. And I think that's the, mm -hmm. that's the invitation. Let me know myself so that I can know you, so yeah. that I can know others, so that I can live fully. And in the midst of a highly, highly anxious election season, we might want to just pause and say, so what's going on inside of me? I, I, don't, I don't fully understand what Chuck and Beth and Jeff were talking about, but I suspect that maybe my body's feeling something. Or maybe that's it in my shoulders right now. Or maybe that's why my head has been hurting for the last week and a half, right? Sure, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and reach out. Um, reach out, maybe get some help, spiritual direction, soul care of some kind, therapy. Um, recognize that we have... We have needs, uh, and God longs to meet us. We don't have to do it on our own, right? We don't yeah. self-sufficient. God longs to meet us in places of this desperation and despair and vulnerability. So that's why I'm so grateful for the two of you. I mean, I think that the, the putting the, the conversation about the gospel is central to the Enneagram so that we recognize it not as some sort of mysterious Gnostic tool, you know, like— People talk about the Enneagram sometimes, you know, and they talk about you and me and they, they're suspicious of this thing, you know, this nine-sided star that um, yeah. we're not in a cult, people. We are, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're inviting people no. to, to the very center of the gospel, back to their dependence, yeah. surrender to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love that because, you know, I, I know a lot of people are suspicious of, well, what is this thing? And all of us could throw the Enneagram away. It, it is in and of itself doesn't have any power. You know, we talk about how the Enneagram is kind of like an x-ray. It yeah. reveals what isn't broken and what is broken, but it cannot do any healing. Yeah. The gospel is what heals us. The Enneagram is only bringing clarity of what is happening inside us. And it's that clarity that we then humbly come before Christ admit where we have faltered, admit where we have sinned, and ask him to work in and through us, have the Holy Spirit to make us more like him each and every day. And we can do that a lot of different ways like we talked about, and we'll actually share some more in the next episode, but also inviting others into that practice with us, that we're not alone, we're not isolated, that God has given us the body of Christ to help us to focus on him and to be more like him each and every day. Hey, Chuck, why don't you just tell our listeners, because they might be interested in the books that you've written or where they can find you. Um, we'll also put it in the show notes as well. Well, I was going to say preach, Beth. Keep preaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, so yeah, probably the easiest way is chuckdegrove.net. That's my website. 
um, you can find out stuff I've written there and some blogs and other things. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, uh, mostly probably. I, I, you, I look at what you guys do on Instagram and I need to get up Instagram more. I love it. But Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, all the stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you could take a moment, because uh, one thing that I was uh, particularly wanted to highlight, and uh, uh, I've read everything that you've written and some of them twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me about your book, Wholeheartedness, just for a, a brief synopsis, because I think it's yeah. going to be such a great application for someone walking away from this podcast. Yeah, it might even be a good read after this, because it really is a, yeah. a book about how fragmented we are. Um, it, it's some of what we mentioned a little bit earlier, internal family systems, not family systems, but internal family systems, and uses a bit of that as a, a way of talking about how we hold shame and anger and all our conflicting emotions and how God longs to draw us back into wholeness and freedom. Um, and uh, I, I talk about that in light of the gospel, in light of Christian practices. Um, I even dabble a little bit in poetry, which is a stretch for me, but um, but in some ways it's the book that's probably closest to my own heart. Uh, it's, it's playful, it's creative, it's more poetic, it's more contemplative, but it's an invitation back to, uh, well, it, to use the words of Augustine again, uh, back to the God who's more near to us than we are to ourselves. Yeah. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. It, uh, it's always a joy to talk with you. Yeah. Um, at one of our most darkest seasons of life, Chuck was a refreshing voice, a gift from our Father as yeah. a reminder of His love. And so you have always been such a gift to us and so thankful that you spent some time with us and with our audience to talk about such a meaningful topic during this time. Yep. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, friends. Well, thank you guys for joining us in this episode. And please come back next week where we're going to walk the wheel, meaning we're going to go through all nine types and how each of them face their own anxiety and how it gets activated by our core fears, what we do in our stress path and stances. Plus, we're going to help you realign with the truth of the gospel so that you can navigate this season, this very anxious and troubling season with more clarity and hope. We'll see you then.